Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst, on the phone with us on this fine Monday. How's it going, MJ? Good morning, guys. I am doing very well. And, uh, yes, you're right. You know, positive Monday. I think it's more Samsonoff has earned the trust more so than Matt Murray has lost it, although clearly Murray's games as of late, some of his performances haven't been up to up to his own standard. But um, Samsonoff has, has taken the ball. He's taken the opportunities, run with it. And he's, and he's shown himself to be um, sharper of the two right now. And if you're the sharper of the two, then you probably deserve to start more often. I find it peculiar only because no more than a week ago, I think like four or five days ago, Sheldon Keith came out and said, you know, I want to get Matt Murray some more home starts. Like everyone looks at the home road splits and how polar opposite they are. So they, he wanted to get him some more home games. And his first opportunity to do that since coming back from Montreal, and he veers away from it and goes with Samsonov. Like is that kind of a peculiar decision to you, or am I kind of overthinking it? Well, I suppose it's mixed messages, but you know things change quickly. And I think he said, I imagine he said that with the idea that if they continue to play the same the way they have all year, mm. it makes sense to get Murray some more at home and Samsonov some more on the road, have these things found themselves out. But they're not playing the same way they played all year long, and Samsonov's playing better than Murray right now. Murray's had a little uh, a little dip. Well, you know, he dipped in, in December, and they came back out of a couple of good games, and he's dipped again. So, um, you know, you have to be fluid. Uh, uh, with your plans, you can't just kind of commit to them and stick to them blindly. If, if things change, you change with them, and I think that's probably appropriate. And um, you know, they, they will need both goalies the rest of the way. They will use both goalies the rest of the way. I, I think the only thing that matters is with, with whatever it is, 35 games left, which is not that many to be honest with you. But 35 games left, how does this sort itself out as they start to approach the playoffs? I don't think at the trade deadline there's any consideration whatsoever to go goaltending shopping. Mm. But I think as they approach the playoffs, then it starts, okay, well, who are they looking to to possibly start? Is that guy going to start every game? You know, that's when maybe the discussion matters more about who's getting what and when. Yeah, that'll be when the real intrigue comes when it comes to the goaltending yeah. starts. Our TSN hockey analyst Mike Johnson on the phone with us. And MJ, in the spirit of Positive Monday, the Leafs had a great first period in Montreal on Saturday. They were stomping them, had a terrible second period, mm-hmm. but then came back and had a pretty respectable... Uh, no, pretty respectable isn't giving enough credit. They had a really good third. Uh, Mambo mm-hmm. was really good. Do you think there's some positivity to be found in that? And in, in maybe that earlier iterations of this team would have a really bad second period and maybe have a worse third period, but the fact that they were able to, to shake it off... And and come out strong for the third, maybe promising. You are spinning the spinning the web today. <laughs> We're having fun. I mean, listen, I am all Still for uh, keeping it a positive yeah. lens on things, but no, no, I don't think so. I mean, listen, they they outplayed Montreal, but did you see Montreal's roster? Yeah, they, they should. I hate when Montreal, I look at a right? roster and I'm like, oh god, I recognize who is this person? Harvey Pinard scored the game time goal. I'm like, I've never, I've never heard, heard of this that name man. in my life. Raphael Harvey Pernard, big time scorer and junior. <laughs> nice tagline, though. Well. Yeah, exactly. Great name. But no, I mean, I think um, they will be disappointed to have only gotten one point in the game. They will be disappointed to not have put a team away earlier when they maybe outplayed them in the first to kind of get that game right out of reach. They will be disappointed that a game went to overtime and not to open up previous bad wounds, but, you know, the overtime record to start this year was not very good. So, you know, that's probably somewhere in their psyche. Like, hey, we want to make sure we're better than that at 3-3, three and three, which won't matter in the playoffs, but it matters right now. Um, but at the same time, if you're a bad game, if you're a bad result, if you're disappointing, 
um, not effort, but just execution and, and result, result are, are with you getting a point on the road. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world at all. Um, and, and they certainly did outplay them for, for large stretches of that game. And Montembeau's had a nice year. Yeah. We don't probably talk about him uh, given what's going on in Montreal and everything else, but he's had a really solid year. He's had several games like the one against Toronto where he has kind of stolen points or kept Montreal in it. So um, I don't think they feel great about the fact they took control of that game in the third again, but um, I don't think they're going to beat themselves up too, too much um, with losing the one point. Yeah, I'm just looking now. Last seven games for the kid, only a four and three record, probably because of the mm-hmm. team he plays for. Yeah, nine thirty-four save percentage. Wow, nine thirty-four. So you're stopping twenty-eight of thirty, and you're losing as much as you're winning. <laughs> yeah. like, that's a tough. That's yeah. a tough go. That's a high standard to to, to hit. So um, yeah, so that you know, it's all part of it. You can't uh, you, you can't overreact, but you don't want to act like it's nothing either. Yeah, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what you've seen of, of Morgan Riley the last couple of games. You know, he was a whipping boy for a couple of weeks there, returning from injury, but I think he's kind of coming back around now, into form. Hang on, Mikey. But, okay. Was, was he a whipping boy, or was he getting some deserved critique of it? No, play? it was well-deserved. I, it was completely okay. deserved. I think I came on, it was like a week yeah. ago, I came on the show, and I was like, hey, is there a, are we going to be concerned? Like, he's not playing well. I think I, I was very much yeah. in the conversation where I'm sitting here saying, He's not playing well. Is there concerns here? But anyways, I think he's played a lot better since last we chatted a week ago. And I'm curious, yeah. though, how much you think, like how much credit does Timothy Lilligren deserve for that? Because since these kind of put him in there, it seems like Riley's been a little bit more steady. Is that just, you know, happened because he's getting healthier and gaining more confidence? Or, you know, is Lilligren kind of, you know, doing his part in helping settle Morgan Riley? Um, I think he's playing better because he heard you challenge him last week. That's what like I you are the, too. You are the Skip Bayless of uh, Toronto. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on, man. When you challenge come guys, on. it matters so much to them that they, they play better. No. What Shannon it's Sharp? Cold. Did you see that Shannon Sharp moment over I, the yeah. weekend? <laughs> first, of all, first of all, spectacular cardigan. I mean, you're going front row and you wear that cardigan yeah. thing. You better be ready to play. But it's funny because I've heard Shannon Sharp and LeBron James. Let me die. Digress here for a second. Both criticize fans being overly involved, and like I get you're an all-pro ex-athlete, but you're just a fan at this point, and you're challenging players in the court to fight. Like, like in what world would that guy not be kicked out of every game in every building? Oh, I know. He wasn't. He, he walked out and then he, he walked back in. But anyways, um, best friends and I'm not with the guys so sure. That. Like, and listen, D- Dylan Brooks is like public enemy number one for everyone in the in the NBA. Yeah. He's a Canadian kid. Of all things, is he not? Yeah, he is. Went to so, school with producer Rod. Really? High school buddies. Oh, really? Yeah. No <laughs> wow, way. Rod. Did not know that. So, yeah, but, like, he's got, like, Clay Thompson all over him. He's got LeBron all over him. He, he takes runs at the best players, which I guess you kind of respect. But, anyway, um, where are we? Morgan Riley, yes. <laughs> I think Morgan Riley deserves the bulk of the credit because it looks like he's skating a bit better. And I don't know if that's health. Maybe it's confidence. Maybe I, I'm not exactly sure why, but... You know, the foundational piece of his game has to be skating. Yeah. And when he came back, it wasn't as good as it usually is. The last couple of games, it's a little bit better. Um, and so when he does that, he puts himself in way better spots all over the ice to make better plays and better decisions. When he's a bit slower, it's bad plays and forced decisions and things don't go so well. That's a big part of it. Whatever. 65% of it. And then, you know, his partner, Timothy Lilgren, deserves credit too. I mean, you... You have to rely on your partner and who you're playing with to, to support you and to, to try to put you in good spots. And Lilligren has, has done that. I think Lilligren 
maybe on a more macro level, not just the last week, but just the whole year, has kind of really established himself as a, a solid defender. Like, I don't know if there are question marks about him before. feels like there might have been some about him and Sandine, like how good they actually might be. Mm-hmm. I, I think they've both shown themselves this year. Like, they are legit, you know, top four, not, maybe not top pair, but top four caliber defensive on a really good team. And, and I think Lilgren, the stability that he has, the kind of simple plays he makes, um, and the battle that he puts into every game uh, helps whoever he plays with. And right now it's Morgan Riley. Well, I'm curious if you think the evolution that we've seen from Timothy Lilligren, TJ Brode is going to be coming back here sometime mm-hmm. soon. I mean, do you think that that maybe makes the defense a little bit less of a, a need as the deadline approaches? I think I think the, the, I, the idea, Mike, that they could get a defenseman that would be significantly better than anyone they have is almost impossible mm. because it would cost so much to get them. Your team might be, you know, net net worse because you know you might have given up so much to get that guy who might be fractionally better than somebody you have available to yourself. So, um, if they have everyone healthy, and that's a big if for everyone in the NHL right now, but if they have Brody healthy, and he's going to be back apparently, you know, imminently, um, then you have options like Sandin and Lilgren have been great for multiple years together. Results speak for themselves; have been really good. Brody does good things wherever he plays. Probably with Morgan Riley, kind of that's your top pair. And then you have Giordano and Hall, real defensive stalwarts who, who do a good job against top opposition. Like, and while you don't have star power, what you have is good depth. And you have guys who are interchangeable, can play different roles. And, and, it, and the, you know, the strength of your defense is in the six of them, not in maybe the one or two. So, yes, I'm with you. I don't think... A high-end defender will be on the shopping list. A depth guy, you know, I think absolutely they will go search one of those guys out. But a high-end guy, probably not. And as an update for our listeners, TJ Brody was on the ice this morning with conditioning staff uh, ahead of the Leafs morning skate. And speaking of the Leafs morning skate, the Leafs have the Isles at home tonight. MJ, there were fire loo chants raining on the (laughs) island over the weekend. They've lost... They've lost four in a row, and they have two wins in their last ten games. Probably shouldn't be this bad. I don't know. How do you evaluate this New York Islanders team, MJ? They stink. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they, they're, they're, they've committed too long to the group that was really good with Barry Trotz. Right. And it's hard to pivot away from teams that are successful. We see so many teams, whether they win a cup or win a playoff round or just have a good year, that guys get rewarded. And the organization wants to appreciate that and rewards that loyalty with contract extensions. And they have too many guys on contracts um, that are a little bit too old that they should have kind of turned over. And they are a little bit predictable. Um, they're trying to play more offensive, but they don't probably have the personnel. Like in many ways, this is what was always peculiar about that. It's not that Lane Lambert's not a good coach, because I believe that he is. But it looked like to me the roster that – that they were going to go forward with because they can't change it because nobody can really change their rosters, was tailor-made for Luke, for Barry Trot to get yeah. the most out of, right? Like, they had to play defensive. They had to win 2-1 games. They had to be the best defensive team in the league. All things that Trot could make them and wanted to make them. And you change coach. He wants to put in a new system, new identity. Well, that makes sense, except the players you have probably can't win Asthma playing that well, way as they could under Barry, Barry Trot. So they're stuck in transition uh, with an older team that are totally capped out. 
But they still have excellent goaltenders, two of them, and that's always a dangerous prospect because their goalies keep them in a whole bunch of games. Probably will be a close game, will be a tough game. Um, but they're, yeah, they're just, they're a team in transition. They got a young, they got to evolve into the modern era of the NHL, uh, which they're not really there just yet. Yeah, it, it is peculiar just because you look at what they were a year ago. I can't with you and the word peculiar today. Good word. That's like four word. times in this I one know, MJ hit. I like hit. it. It's a good word. I'm going to stick with it. Okay, okay, MJ? It's peculiar to me how far out this team has fallen off defensively. And I guess you could look and say, like, the coaching change, they, you know, the system is differently. I mean, you delve into that. But to fall from being one of the best defensive teams to currently ranking, what, sixth in expected goals uh, against and then fifth in high-danger chances given up is uh, surprising to me. There you go. Hey, hey, different sixth words. worst or fifth worst or sixth on the top? Worst. Sixth on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, they brought in Romanov from Montreal thinking that he would be a real stabilizer. It hasn't worked well for him. And, and it goes to show, I think, more than anything, like – how much Barry Trot influenced how that team played? Because mm. I don't, I don't think Lady Lambert wants to come in there and like you know completely disregard the foundational pieces that they had in place. Kind of like Jim Montgomery didn't want to do that in Boston, right? Like he was trying to take the good from the previous guy and add to it, um, but he hasn't been able to find the mix like the Bruins has. So uh, it is surprising to see them fall that far that quickly. But you watch them play, they are not – they don't play fast. Like it's a, kind of a slower game. They have a whole bunch of good forwards, but they're all a bit older. They're all good. Matt Barzell, who can be great, hasn't had a great year um, by his standards. So it's not just – it's just not working right now. And the problem is – maybe you have the computer in front of you. Like, I still think they have one more year where a lot of these guys will be back. Uh, and then it kind of opened, and then the roster completely turns itself over. So, um, yeah, they're they're in a transition period, and, um, and that's that's a tough spot to be in in pro sports. Yeah, they got pretty much everybody. Uh, one more season to go. I think the yeah. only guy Dang. Scott Mayfield is the only like UFA that I would consider as part of their like now, loose Leafs, core. You know what? Hang on, Scott Mayfield. Leafs just, target. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I like it. That. Is exactly the kind of guy, Penny UFA, Islanders are going to make it. Um, you know, a guy like that, you know, rangy guy, maybe if there's an injury, maybe he can outplay one of the guys in front of him, whatever. Um, he would be a guy that they might have an eye on. Something like that, depending on health. Like, I don't know if he plays, steps in and plays in front of anyone else, especially mm-hmm. with how well Lilgren has played on the right side. But a right shot defensive defenseman, skates relatively well, has played you know, a good defensive system before. Guy like that might perk their interest. Yeah, definitely can't have too many of those on an NHL roster. Uh, with our TSN hockey analyst Mike Johnson right now, and Johnny, a lot of good hockey over the weekend, but pretty much the only story that had everyone's attention yeah. was the way that things were playing out with the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, I'm sure you all saw online Bruce Boudreau on the bench on Saturday night, knowing full well he was coaching in his last game with the Vancouver Canucks, but not officially fired yet. Uh, we saw online reports of players walking into the room, being quite emotional and saying his goodbyes. And all this, again, well, he had yet to be fired and then officially came out <laughs> yesterday morning that uh, he was out and talk it was in. They went through the press conference. I, I don't know. Just give me your sh- your thoughts on the way that this played out. So 
it, first of all, it, it's bizarre. It's it really unlike anything I ever have really seen, yeah. given how public the the speculation was. And like to the day, I mean, it was ten days ago. They said, yeah, probably that 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 Monday today. I guess was the day they thought it would get replaced. Yeah. Um, and it happened on the Sunday. Um, the whole thing felt unseemly, unprofessional. I'm not going to say disrespectful because, listen, we're all pros, whether it's a coach or a player. Where if I see my name in a trade rumor, it's not much different than a coach seeing him, his name in a fired rumor. Like, you know, you know it's, it's, we're all part of the gig. So I'm going to say disrespectful, but uh, more unprofessional that it was so public so long and they just kind of let it linger out there. They could have easily let him go, let an interim coach coach for a week until Rick Talkett was cleared to come out there or whatever was taking Rick Talkett so long. So, yeah, it just – it was another, but it was almost like in an, like in an isolated view. You're like, yeah, that wasn't very good. That was handled poorly. But given everything else that's happened in Vancouver this year, right from the beginning of the year, from you know management replaced and and injury complaints and, and and criticism from the front office to the coach and you know squabbling amongst the players. Like there's been so much going on there. It feels like it's emblematic of how dysfunctional that whole organization is right now. And that's the last place you want to be. And that's the last perception you want people to have about your team. But I think it's an accurate one. So like, it just feels, yeah, it was just just unnecessarily um, damaging to so many people and the organization. And then the worst part, I mean, you know, Rick Tockett is, is in town. And, like, how is he going to slide into Vancouver, yeah. like, on, on the down low when everyone's so thinking about this? And then, you know, they have their – their press conference yesterday, Vancouver does like, oh, we decided this morning to make a change. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> the new coach is here. He doesn't live here. Don't act like you decided this morning. What are you talking about? Like, you probably could have just said, listen, like, and I know they're always hesitant to admit anything wrong, but if Rutherford or Alvin just said, listen, we didn't, that wasn't handled as well as we wanted it to, um, we would have done some things differently. And, and for that, we apologize to Bruce. We're moving home. We're talking. We're excited about that. Like if they would have just said that, they would probably do go a long way and say, "Okay, well, whatever. You still get criticized, but at least you acknowledge it." But this semantic cap dance about, "Well, we just didn't. We interviewed a lot of people, and we just decided today." Like it's all such garbage, which again further hurts their reputation um, in, in some weird way. So strange, strange times. Everyone loves Bruce Brudeau. And my last thought on it, guys. Coaches that I really like never even once come close to crying if someone lost their job. Like I'm hearing about guys going in and shedding tears over Bruce Boudreau. Like if that's true, then that is an incredibly um, impactful situation they've gone through because that's not normal. Yeah. Uh, like you know, it's not like we've seen guys cry. Like the guy, like Ryan Smith, when he got traded, he was crying. That's that's, that's not that abnormal. But his teammates weren't crying for him. Right, I, the guys don't cry when coaches get fired. It stinks, and you feel bad, and you, and you may hurt. You know, you may hurt for that person. But if that's true, that is uh, really says something about where that team was at mentally. Yeah, it, re- it really does. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I just feel bad for talk coming in on this situation. You know, like it's, why? Well, why just, do you feel bad for talking? That was like the weirdest person to pick. Hap- no, it's not that it was a weird person to pick. Like, I mean, Johnny, you played for for Rick yeah. Tockett for a year, didn't you? And, I don't and, talk well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like absolutely do. So, like, is he? I mean, he's coming into this, and 
it's just people are still in love with Bruce and the way that it kind of happened. And not that I think Rick Tockett's coming, like he's not the villain, but it's weird. It's like the, the you're going to continue to talk about your ex with your current, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend. It's just it's a weird, peculiar situation for Rick Tockett to be in. I mean, so I guess I just say this. It's not of his own making, but it's not like he wasn't part of whatever was going on, right? Like, he could have said, I can't leave for four weeks or whatever or whatever the delay was for the TNT thing. If that was part of it, um, you know, he could have had a conversation like, you know, I will accept the job as soon as one's available, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Like, you could do things to kind of mitigate whatever just happened. Yes, he's got a PR battle in front of him that is probably not primarily of his own making. But he's not like he wasn't part of what was happening. He was having discussions with uh, the management and knew what was going on and flying in on the Saturday while the other coach, like, he could have said, listen, just fire him now, like, whatever. You know, he could have been part of those conversations. So, yeah. um, yes, he has a hard uh, goal. But I thought he, uh, when he spoke, said about all the right things. Like, he was measured. Yeah. He wasn't coming in saying, I'm the hero. He wasn't saying, uh, I'm here to, to win, to, to get to the playoffs. He was like, he acknowledged that there were some things to work on. And I think the quickest way to get Vancouver back on your side is to acknowledge that they got a ways to go, right? Like, I think that's what wow. people in Vancouver kind of want to hear. Like, Hey, let's admit that we are not good and let's go do whatever it takes to make ourselves good in the end. But what I want to watch and, and I'm fascinated by this guys is so talk like he is, he coached me in Arizona as an assistant when I was like 29, 28, 29, 30, like I was well into my career. I was a borderline man. I mean, I'm still a borderline man, but I was grown <laughs> up, right? Talk is scary. Like, talk is intimidating. And talk was only, I just saw him the thing. He's only like five years older than me, but he's an intimidating guy. And so, um, like, when he, when he is going to challenge JT Miller, this is the relationship I want to watch. Yeah. Because JT Miller, he talked about him, like, you know, sort of, needing to play harder and pace it like different things. And, and I think, you know, JT Miller, who's on a long-term extension, um, is going to have to be a big part of that team. I've had some issues, whether it's yelling at his goaltenders or snapping or squabbling with his teammates. I want to watch how pocket JT Miller get along. Uh, and it may be great. Like talks a good community communicator, but it just, that is maybe one situation that I'm going to watch carefully as this starts to see how it shakes out. Yeah, that's that's something that should be a pretty good uh, a pretty good thing to watch for. Uh, appreciate it as always, Johnny. We'll uh, catch uh, up with you again next week. All right. That was a peculiar hit, but a good one nonetheless. Extremely <laughs> peculiar. Uh, you guys are using the word wrong. <laughs> using the word incredibly, incredibly wrong. Like from the first moment you said it. Uh, anyways, what a wild word. I'm into it. It's the All word right. of the day. I'm going to look up the definition of the word peculiar, and we'll come back with the definition. Okay, we'll chat. Chat with you soon, Johnny. <laughs> All right.